Welcome to the Purple Rock Survivor Podcast. I am John, racing back into podcasting like a bullet with butterfly wings. My co-host is Andy, the black hole sun that engulfs all the internet straw men. And this week, we are talking Millennials versus Generation X, Episode 4, where once again, a Gen Xer gets handed a participation trophy. Andy, our generation is getting shamed out here. Uh, that's because the world is a vampire. <laughs> Uh, yeah, welcome back, man. I'm glad to see, uh, that, uh, you're got a little bit of preparation in for the, uh, apocalypse that seems to be about ready to swallow your country. So I'm glad, you know, it was a nice little dry run. Sure. Boarded up the house, grabbed all the weapons. We're good to go. All right. And, um, you know, good to have you back. Uh, I think we have, uh, an episode with some, gave us some stuff to discuss, or at least a few minutes of it did. Yeah, I believe the bulk of our discussion is going to be about the last few minutes. So let's just go ahead and start right there anyway, because why wait? David throws an idol on Jessica at the end successfully, and that might have caused a bit of controversy amongst the uh, strategy nerds on the internet. Where'd you land on this? Well, I'll say I understand uh, the uh, apprehension that people have. While it was happening, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, just let this chick hang, you know? Like, she doesn't, like, you, you guys tried to save her. You can only try so hard to save somebody. But, you know, with, uh, you know, the cold light of day and a little bit of time to think about it, this will sound like a hedge, but I want to put this, it will depend on what happens next. And I don't mean that uh, it will depend on, you know, results, but this is a first move. And if he can follow up this move with the right moves, then I think actually, I think it's a uh, defensible or it could be a complete disaster. It's hard to say. I, I mean, I see it as a high risk, high reward type of move. Um, specifically for David, I think the move is fine. Even knowing that the swap is coming just because David, and then we kind of hit on this earlier in the season, David is not going to be great at making deep bonds with people. He's got one with Ken. He, has a bond with CC, but that to me, at least on the show that we've seen, seems like one of convenience more than anything. So when you can't make a friendship, you buy one. And I think he bought himself one with Jessica. So he's got one additional ally. Yeah. For me, I think I can sympathize with him being tired of being treated like an afterthought and just like wanting to go for it. Like he didn't come here to be, you know, like Chris and Brett's, you know, annoying little brother who, you know, two episodes ago, you know, Chris and Paul are saying he's the next one to go. We're just trying to keep him busy. So, yeah, I do. As you say, it's high risk. And I think, you know, maybe it's worth that risk. I think at some point he needs to step out and tell people that, guess what? I'm not a joke. And he did that. And, you know, some people's like, well, you could just wait and wait. But it's like, I don't know if you can. At a certain point, people's opinions on you become fixed. So, you know, was this necessarily the ideal scenario? No. Typically, if you're going to save somebody with an idol, you want them to maybe be on your side, uh, be on the side of your allies, help form an alliance that will actually last. But, you know, there's not always ideal scenarios. And um, I think a lot, what a lot of people will think, and yeah, they are using the knowledge that we have that he doesn't, that a swap is coming up. Um, yeah, but some people argue you have to anticipate a swap will come up, but, you know, you don't have to. It could be two more weeks, in which case, you know, David might not still have an opportunity to do something with that idol besides save himself. Or, you know, in a season that's being called Generation or Millennials versus Generation X, it's not completely unheard of to say that there wouldn't be a swap. Heroes versus Villains never had a swap. So, 
What do you think about the fact that, like, he might rather have that idol for himself rather than play for somebody else? I mean, it's ideal that you would be able to save yourself because, you know, always look out for number one. But at the same time, if you have to play it to save yourself, is that because you were doomed anyway? Uh, And, you know, is it going to keep you around long enough to be able to make a move after that? Can you recover? Again, I don't know that David can. And for who David is, if he can make it to the merge, he's probably not going to be a target for a while. So why not just make your goal, get to the merge, you know, do whatever it takes to get there with some sort of voting block on your side, and then see what happens. And then not only that, but the idol is probably going back to their beach anyway, so he'll at least have like a one in, what, is there seven left on their tribe? Sounds right, yeah. Yeah, so they'll have a one in seven shot of him getting it again. I mean... And I'd say he has a better than one in seven chance because he knows how idols are functioning in the way that nobody else does. Exactly. He knows he doesn't have to start digging in trees or under or like up or like looking in holes or sand. He knows so just kind of look around for things that have the symbol on it. You know, assuming that the next idol will behave the way that the first idols did. Yeah. And I, uh, it's funny. I just made the mistake of doing the Propstian odds here of one in seven when realistically, He's going to have weighted odds because of what you just said. Yeah, and I'll say uh, a thought that I had about the idol, uh, just kind of a working pieces that I'm putting together. Maybe it's better to play the idol for somebody else rather than wait until you need it. And um, while that sounds counterintuitive, the advantage you have when you're playing the idol for somebody else is generally people tell you the vote is going towards that other person, right? When Russell played the idol for Parvati, he knew that people were voting for Parvati. Now, he also knew it was for him. Uh, when Jeremy played the idol for Fishback, he knew the vote was for Fishback. So, whereas if the vote's for you, they don't tend to tell you that. So right. it might actually be a higher percentage play to play it for somebody else if you think that that will have an impact uh, that will favor your game, which is, of course, the big risk. And why people are kind of like, and why, frankly, I was thinking this isn't that great, because like, she doesn't even seem to be on your side. Your key ally just voted for her. And I'll say, before the votes were shown, I figured Ken was voting for her. I was like, she's already lost Ken's vote. It just That's the vibe I yep. got from Tribal Council. Uh, so it's so like, that's maybe not the kind of person you save. But I will say that I, I think that there might be something too. You might be, have more success impacting the game when you play the idol for somebody else than when you play for yourself. Because as you were getting at before, typically if you're playing the idol for yourself, that means you've kind of already lost. Like, uh, in, in terms of people who needed to play the idol to save themselves, only two people have ever won the game later. Because typically at that point, they just keep voting for you. Uh, Mike was able to do it and only because he won every single immunity after that. And then uh, Jeremy was able to do that in really extraordinary circumstances where both he and Kelly played the idol. Uh, you know, the counter to that is the swap might be the one time where it's not quite true. You know, an idol would be a nice way to protect yourself from being screwed by the swap. But, like, he's been playing from behind for so long. I don't necessarily begrudge him for wanting to try to not do that for a change. And not only that, he's had a preview of what that other tribe is like, and... Despite him like rushing to tell them, hey, I'll vote out my entire alliance. I don't care. You and me are besties forever. I think he's got to know that he didn't form some deep lasting bonds with Taylor. But uh, I just think like probably when they finished last night or last week, they probably felt like, cool, we've just done something. We toppled Paul. 
this is going to be a new game. And all of a sudden they're like, no, it's just us five again. And it's, you guys can, you know, listen to us or you go home. I can, you know, I'm sympathetic to the idea of not wanting to do that, regardless of what you think the swap is, because I think you can only plan ahead for those things but so much. Mm-hmm. Because, what it, you know, if it's Jessica this time, then it's CC next time if, you know, the swap doesn't come right away. Or you swap and suddenly you're the last person in this group because it, and it becomes like a 5-2 thing. And they like to hang out with Taylor, uh, Taylor or somebody more than they like to hang out with you, you know. Chris seems pretty friendly with Jay when they're giving each other fist bumps at challenges and stuff. So I, you know, I think there's something to, um, trying to grab a hold of the game when you have the opportunity, if that's the, indeed the way you want to play. But as I kind of said before, It'll depend on what he does next. And again, I don't, whether this succeeds or not, frankly, I kind of think it's going to succeed for edit-based reasons, <laughs> not because of the move itself, in that the show has made us, um, or it seems to be interested in making us care about David and not care about any of the people that were on the other side of the vote. Um, but it's just more like he's created an opening for himself. Now let's see. It's kind of like last week, and you weren't on the show. What Did you think it was a mistake for the ladies to flip and vote out Paul last week? No, I think that Paul, and it might have just been that he put it poorly, but it did sound like he was saying, yeah, I'm just, if, if the guys don't want you around, I'm totally cool with that. Yeah. And like, you know, obviously it didn't seem to work out well for Jessica in the end because, you know, a majority of people voted for her or Lucy who went home. But again, I think it's because they screwed up the next move. You know, I think doing that was fine. Just, and frankly, the people who were saying it was a bad idea, I don't know how many of them, you know, said because they'll immediately flip on each other when the, once, before the sun even finishes rising. Um, but like if they had just stuck together, it could have been a good move. So, you know, what David did will depend on how successful he is in bringing that four people together. And then, of course, you know, where the ball bounces once the swap happens. Uh, one thing that was brought up by our listeners that I hadn't even thought of, and obviously David couldn't have thought of, this is unintended consequences, but, you know, hey, he might have just bought himself the legacy advantage. Huh? Yeah, if she's a target later on and he didn't have a chance to save her, then why not? If he wasn't responsible for getting her out, I'm thinking that it's going to him. Yeah, I think it was Kent McKay who first brought that up on our site, and I should say that's Kent. It's not Ken McNichol or anything. I believe he, you know, he was commenting on our site last season. I bet he's equally handsome, though. Probably. Uh, well, if that's possible. But uh when he wrote that, I was like, oh, yeah, Legacy Advantage. I forgot that that was a thing, which kind of circles back to the point we made in the first episode, which is, like, if two people who run a Survivor website and podcast, or at least one of them, I shouldn't speak for you, couldn't remember that that's a thing in part of the gameplay or part of the ongoing story. It's a bad idea. Yeah. Um, but parsing out the vote one last time, because I, I get that people were piling on David that this was such a bad move, blah, blah, blah. Say that they don't say that he doesn't play the idol. They just go along with it. They take out Jessica. Now it's four to three. David's side is still in the minority, but they have the idol. You still then have a one in three shot of playing it correctly to save someone from your alliance next time. It's a risk either way. And I think take the risk now when you know where the vote's going, not a bad idea. Yeah. And also like in one in three, that's yeah, again, tougher than figuring out the vote is for Jessica. Right. Um, and also you, at the end of that, you don't, you still don't have a shot at the majority. Now it's 3-3 three, three at best. Right. If, you know, again, it continues along that path, no slots, no merges. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, 
it would have been better if he and you know Ken got on the same page before. Sure. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if David made this decision at Tribal Council, just kind of seeing how it is. It's like, you know what? I'm, I don't want to go back to being the, the joke little brother that they keep treating me like. And yeah, is that an emotional decision? Sure. But, you know, spoiler, most decisions on Survivor are pretty emotional. <laughs> well, not if you listen to Lucy, though. No, and let's talk about her because, uh, some people will say that, frankly, she didn't even fail that much. Uh, she only got two votes. Uh, you know, she, she uh, I'm going to do scare quotes on radio here, orchestrated, you know, the big vote, uh, it just, you know, caught a bad break. Um, do you think that she was unlucky or just because David did something crazy or, you know, does she suck? Um, there are certain people that you can dictate terms to, like we've seen it before there. It's, it's fine. Boston Rob did it to certain people, but there are also some people that are not necessarily the type that are going to take kindly to that. And I think Lucy probably had seen some evidence that Ken would not take kindly to that. Yeah, I think like some people, like in her inter- exit interviews, and you know, she was led to this by the interviewer. It's like, you know, if a man did that, it'd be fine. Boston Robin Redemption Allen. And for me, it's like, cut it. Come on. We literally saw in the previously on Survivor, Ken bristle at a man trying to do this with him. Does people forget, like, this is why Paul is not in the game. Because Ken doesn't want anyone, male or female, to tell him what to do without him having any input. And it's actually also a little precious that Lucy is, like, trying to play that card. And again, maybe to her favor, people were feeding her that. But that, yo, if I was a man, people would let me do that. Well, on the same, like, later in the interview, being like, Ken's such a woman for having feelings. It's like, so which is it? <laughs> which part of equality are you looking for for the sexes? But, uh, yeah, it's like, it wasn't that at all. It was that you don't talk to this particular guy, and frankly, it's not a good idea to talk to anybody that way. I don't want to hear that Boston Rob was able to do that, because A, this was his fourth try, and B, he didn't do it like that. He made it seem like it was consensus. It was the buddy system, not Big Brother is watching right. him. It was all him manipulating mm-hmm. him, but he would gather in groups and we will discuss this, not don't let me see you talking to anybody. It was, we can't let each other talk. We ought to protect ourselves. He made them feel like this. they were part of that operation in a way that Lucy did not. And that's not just edit. That's uh, the reaction of the way people were, and frankly her confirmation in subsequent exiting. <laughs> yeah. Um, people often try to paint themselves in the best light in their exit interviews. I don't think she exactly covered herself in glory in them this week. But I think she was trying to paint herself in the That's best light. That's what I'm saying. Despite her attempts, didn't really go so well. It's like, what? That's the way I'm like with my uh, husband and children. My, when my directors want to have input and I just tell them, just give me the facts. Like, That's how, you sound awful. You sound like a terrible boss. <laughs> I am an adult human being and I have input. And yes, I want my opinions heard and shared because maybe I have an idea. No, this is the way it is. What a millennial attitude from you. Where's your participation trophy? So, and I, I gotta say, you know, for our preseason podcast, I am, you know, uh, <laughs> If people hadn't figured out, we obviously did a bit where we were talking about how everybody was the first bit, uh, which led us to try to find negatives in some people. And, you know, I think it was fun. And it also was a reflection of how we were feeling about the season going in. In some ways, I wish I didn't because I had Lucy nailed and it wasn't because I was making Crazy. stuff up. Uh, 
I thought she would be, you know, from the all the vibes I was getting from her preseason interviews, this was the kind of person she was going to be. She was going to be, a, you know, overly pushy, too driven, that things had to be her way. And, yeah, from the, from the preseason through to that episode, the only episode she was ever in, to, you know, eggs or interviews. This is who she is, and she sucks. So I don't care if she only got two votes. Getting those two votes at all is on her. Yeah, uh, they did cast her to be exactly that, though. Like, they got what they wanted. Oh, absolutely. It's a misconception that some people have that everybody's cast to do well. Right. Or to be uh, liked. But, yeah, I yes, she got people to vote with her, but I'm not going to give her a whole lot of credit for getting Chris and Brett to vote for the person who just voted for them. Right. <laughs> what were they going to do? No, 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 I really want to vote for ourselves. No, I can't go with you. Uh, we're going to still target CC. So, like, that's what they wanted to do. And, yeah, I guess she also voted for them, so bravo for getting that target taken off her. Except that, of course, if she really wanted to play the game and control, she didn't have to include them at all. Yep, because she could have aligned with Jessica. And let's talk about Jessica, because another thing that we got a lot of in the immediate post-episode reaction was, oh, is Jessica so dumb for running and telling Lucy after her discussion with Ken that she knows Lucy is targeting her. What do you think? Well, actually, let me, I just ranted for a bit. What's, what's your take on that? Um, I don't think that's insane. I don't think she had some really tight bond with Ken. We'd seen them discussing a little bit last episode about Paul, but I didn't get the vibe from that, that they're super close. Uh, so I think it's reasonable for her to think that Ken was making some kind of play to grab the majority. She might have been a little crazy to think that she could keep that group of five together after they betrayed Paul last vote. But I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea. If anything else, if anything, she could have just been trying to read Lucy's reaction to that. I have no problem with her not taking Ken's word at face value. Um, I, I think it it actually demonstrates why it's so difficult to get people to work with you, even if it's in their best interest, because uh, people are not prone to believe things uh, you say, especially you know, trying to question your motives. However, I don't think the way that she asked Lucy is the way that you um, find truth in the right. game. I think she asked it in such a way that made it just easy to be like, no, well, of course not, because that's what anybody would say to you. I think you need to... Do an end around a bit. You need to talk to other people or you need to talk to Lucy, but not in such confrontational terms. Like, okay, what are we doing? What is this? How is everything? And try to get a read. But she's just kind of like, Ken told me this. Is this true? Yeah, right. The answer is no, even when the answer is yes. That's not like an effective technique. I wonder if that's the, uh, the lawyer in her coming out with her direct questions and wanting direct answers. But yeah, because nobody's ever lied on the stand, I imagine. Uh, well, I mean, it, with with her own people that she's screened beforehand, and she knows the questions being asked because she will only ask the questions if she knows the answers. You know, maybe that's the game she's used to. She's not used to necessarily someone being so quick to duck and dodge a very easy question to dodge. Yeah, and like actually, quickly getting back to Lucy, like why did she go after Jessica in the first place? Like, if you were so put off by the idea of voting for Paul, why'd you do it? I don't understand. And it's like, it's not even like, you know, Chris and Brett had time to work her over and really think like, oh, we were on your side forever. It's like she woke up and it was like instant regret and hatred for this person. When, like, last week it kind of seemed like Lucy was co-holder of the plan. I wonder if maybe it was at some point last week's vote 
Jessica and Sunday were on board and they were going to do it. And at that point, why not? Because they would have already had the numbers with just those people anyway. So just to keep that relationship intact, maybe she's like, okay, ladies, I'm in on this. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly possible because, yeah, we don't see everything. But from the footage we saw, it seemed like, you know, Jessica was kind of talking about her uneasy feelings with Paul. And Lucy was like, well, why don't we vote out Paul? And I said, like, the next morning, again, before the sun had even finished coming out, she's like, I got to kill her. It was like, <laughs> that, that's just weird. It's like, if you, you were so against this, just don't vote out Paul. Don't blindside Chris and Brett. But, meh, okay. And that kind of, you know, circled that back to Jessica shows that she did not have a good night and that she couldn't like hold together her core alliance for like a like a 12 hour period like that's how quickly it fell apart <laughs> um and i gotta say like yeah yeah there's questions about whether david did the right thing i do not think highly of what lucy did but i think jessica was the dumbest person on gen x that episode really and it's not just yeah and it's not just the way that she approached lucy the biggest thing is her performance at tribal council okay i, I will give you that she was she was bad at tribal council. Yeah, it's like she just checked out. You should be, like, you know, ears out, ready for everything. You've heard your name come up. Whether you fully believe it or not, this should be like, okay, I should pay attention. And, you know, just right off, like, as she's speaking, she's like, you know, this is about the Alliance of Five. Like, we're already right back to us five, you three. This was the dumbass thing that got Paul voted out <laughs> in the first place. And, like, why do you think it's you five? If, again, if you were so secure with these people, why did you vote out Paul? I don't understand. And then the biggest, most damning thing is Lucy basically admitted that Kent, what Kent was saying was right yep. and true when she started arguing with her. Yep. And Jessica's still just there catching flies with her mouth open and be like, okay, I guess I'm voting for Cece. Like, it, she didn't even seem to flinch at that moment. Like, hmm. Yeah, I do wonder why there was no reaction from her on that. I got maybe she just wasn't putting two and two together in that moment. Cause from what we've heard, like, it goes on for a long time until they get the type of stuff they want. And, you know, some people are just, so focused on the vote, they're not even necessarily paying attention to everybody else's questions and answers, which they should. So who knows? But yeah, there should have been some sort of reaction when it seemed like Lucy was giving confirmation there. Yeah, but like they're having an argument about you and Ken is saying his piece and Lucy's responding. It's like, yeah, I was just telling you that. And like, I didn't think anything big deal. It's like, she just told you that she told Ken. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she didn't come right out and say, I told you to vote Jessica. Like, what do you think she was telling? It's not Lucy wasn't like, this is a big lie. I never told you anything. (laughs) She was trying to say, no, I told you that. And you should suck it up and get it over with it. And yeah, nothing from Jessica. Still just completely, oh, I guess, CC. (laughs) and like she she had no idea what was going on so yeah she loses all marks Uh, a lot of stupid things on that tribe happened i think she was responsible for the stupidest stuff all right well let's talk about the most emotional woman on the tribe this week ken at least if you go by uh lucy's explanation um he got a little grief from lucy for having to be treated quote unquote like a woman because he's got emotions all wrapped up in this rather than just listening to her, her directives. Do you think that this is, this is just Ken? Like Ken is very used to being like, nobody's the boss of me. I have the ego. I got to be the alpha. Or is there some sort of strategy he's working here? In a uh, time honored rock uh, fashion, I will say it can be two things. Cause yes, I think absolutely Ken is an emotional person driven by ego. I think everything he's been doing is that he, it does not feel right to Ken 
to be this outsider with very little control over what's happening. However, I would say strategically, it should not feel right to Ken to be some kind of outsider <laughs> who has no control of what's happening. And I don't just say that, yeah, in the same way as for David. I think for a player like Ken specifically, if you don't have some level of control now, you're never going to have it. And you don't get to hide under the radar when you are, you know, the Greek when god When you look Ken. like Ken, like, yeah. Yeah. They're coming for you soon. And if you can't have anything yeah, establish a power base now, then there's no help for you. Because, like, not only is the other tribe going to come after you, these people aren't going to do anything to help you. You are useful to them now, which is why you're not the immediate target, but you don't get a seat at the table. So I do think he needs to get a seat at the table, and that seat needs to be the head of the table. So, yeah, I think it's totally ego-driven. Uh, I think, yeah, there's a, a minor backlash happening amongst our fans because how dare, you know, somebody who seems accomplished not be humble? That seems to be kind of a common thing. And, hey, this is the first instance of me insulting our fans on the podcast this season. So, <laughs> welcome. Uh, we're, we've started. I will say, in support of your ego claim, one of Ken's arguments last week about Paul was like, oh, Paul says he's catching all these fish. No, he's not. I'm the one catching fish. Like, he, he needed the credit there. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, like, I'm not denying that, you know, he has a very healthy ego and is a bit pouty that he's not being, you know, fetid for it. Uh, just, you know, my personal philosophy is that that never bothers me. I don't mind <laughs> when players or people have an, a, a tremendous ego. And well, I mean, personally, I don't mind when you're not even that accomplished and you have one. Um, but yeah, I like, I think I get why he's bristling at being in the underdog and I, or not the underdog, but the, you know, the minority and why he is going to extreme measures and doing what he can to not be in that minority because yeah, he, he can't just hang around for a couple of votes and hope things turn around. He can't just kind of sit around and hope like three things break his way so that he can be the most obvious winner ever. Like if he's going to win this thing, eventually he's going to need to take control of this thing. Cause otherwise, if, even if somehow, yeah, this guy is overlooked enough to make it to the end, if he isn't impressing people along the way, they're going to treat him like Mick and Samoa. Yep. I, I bet. He's part of it too, is that he's so used to being the pretty one that people, he doesn't, he's not familiar with the concept of people not wanting to listen to him. <laughs> like he's probably used to people just hanging on his every word and letting him carry on about whatever stuff he wants to ramble on about. Like he's probably a Bernie supporter or like some, you know, legalized pot advocate or he's a Ron Paul, but like he's going to drone on about stuff and people are always like, yeah, yeah. And just staring at him because he's pretty. And so he thinks, you know, like, oh, yeah, people love listening to me. Why isn't this group of people listening to me? And they're so completely immune to his charms, uh, all but David, to the point where, yeah, they're laughing at him when he's talking about final records. Um, yeah, no, I absolutely think that's part of it. And that I'm okay with that. And uh, I'm okay with him being a bit ridiculous, which I think some people are trying to, like, push now. Like, ha-ha, see, he's not so great. No, that's cool. Yeah. I don't need my survivors to be perfect people. He is a flawed individual. But I think there is some strategy to it. You know, if, even if it's just a certain, like, this is the way he needs to feel to to be, to be comfortable, you know, in his own skin and doing what he's going to do. Because I think that's probably necessary to succeed in Survivor, to feel like you're playing the way that, you know, fits you. But as a whole, though, this tribe is pretty boring. And we've somehow spent about almost half an hour now discussing them. Isn't this show going to get so much better 
when this Gen X tribe is just picked off one by one. Absolutely. I mean, I guess the one potential catch is that, like, maybe the millennials aren't that good. We just don't get enough of them because, you know, episodes tend to be structured around the, you know, the teams that lose and these Gen Xers are taking a whole lot of L's. Yep. But, like, you know, David is legitimately interesting. Ken has interest too, not just in the way that he looks, but, you know, the way he looks. <laughs> and that's, like, it. That's it. The rest of them are nothing. They're giving us nothing. Which is so surprising because I thought, you know, from preseason stuff, I figured Sunday would play some kind of prominent role. I figured Chris Mm -hmm. probably would. And then after that first episode, I figured like, oh, okay, you know, Jessica has shown having some agency and and doing some things. Maybe Jessica is going to be the other one. But no, it just doesn't seem to be coming together. Yeah, she's just sitting there, you know, while everybody's strategizing around her completely there. Sunday was completely absent, you know. I'm still, I still holds out some hope that maybe once the story calls for her, she can deliver. Um, yeah, yeah, Brett, you think Brett would at least, you know, like, add, oh, add some color, but he's boring as F. <laughs> uh, and yeah, Chris is just like your standard, you know, this is the way it's gonna be. And you go against me, I'm angry. Like, there's just, like, a perma scowl. Uh, I mean, he's a hoss in challenges. Sure. Um, but at least in challenges related to strength. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very good. Very, very, very true. But yeah, it's like every minute we're spending over there is a wasted time that we could be spending with more interesting people. And I say that as somebody who is predisposed to like hating young people. Right. Exactly. We should be rooting against those youths. Yeah, it's like, I want to hear Michaela talk. I want to see what Zeke's doing. I want to see what Hannah's doing, for Christ's sake. I miss Zeke so much. We haven't seen him in so long. Yeah, like, Jay seems like he could actually be interesting in between the things he says, which are annoying. I think Michelle is fascinating, but we're not kidding them because they're successful. We have to stay with all these lukewarm blankets doing nothing until, like, the last minute they make inexplicable decisions. Or, as Alex Trebek would call them, in that video clip that we just saw, losers, basically. Basically. Uh, so yeah, uh, and I think the swap might actually help there. Hopefully the swap, uh, balances it out so that enough interesting people are on both sides. And maybe they just pick off the uninteresting people. <laughs> or at the very least, the uninteresting people aid the interesting people on in succeeding. Cause right now, it's, it's David, it's Ken, you know, in that order, and it's nothing. Like, like Cece. Tell me something about Cece. Tell you anything about anybody else in that tribe. I mean, you'd struggle other than saying Jessica has the legacy advantage, which you'd already forgotten that anyway. Yep. Uh, the only reason to talk about them is challenges. So let's do what we rarely ever do and talk about the reward challenge. Shockingly good. It was a re- really good challenge. That's the point. Yeah, it's like I was distracted by the fact that, you know, a lot of this stuff seems to be boring because that was good. And But it's an important question to ask ourselves. Which was better in the reward challenge? Our generation of literal men among boys just, like, stomping them? Because, yeah, while I don't enjoy them talking or playing survivory things, it's pretty satisfying seeing them just sun all these young boys. <laughs> um, was it Jeff Probst getting doused by that wave at the end? Or, or was it Michaela? Uh, all of it was excellent. I mean, like I said, it was just an all-around good entertaining challenge which is again not something we usually focus on but that one was great um and i'm sure they're going to go back to that well in some future season i would probably say though the most entertaining part was michaela and 
not for the topless thing, although it doesn't it, hurt. Not not for the topless thing. Um, but for me, it was just it was so fun to watch Probst go full Probst over a woman's challenge performance. You just you don't get that. Like he, he got way more excited about her beasting it over those three women than he did at her taking her top off. Like he didn't even get that way about you know poverty or anything, just because this was Michaela like brute forcing a challenge and Probst was into it. Yeah, and that, I think that actually speaks to a bit, like, you know, everybody, you know, the common default criticism for Probst is that he's sexist, and I'm not saying he's not. However, I do think it's a little more nuanced than that. It's that he doesn't like losers. <laughs> he likes winners within his definition, right? Maybe it's something about being a game show host that you're just naturally predisposed to hating losers. Well, because they waste your time and you're there for it, right? <laughs> um, but, uh, he, you know, he's all in favor of, like, a Stephanie or, you know, as you say, Michaela or something like that. It's just obviously the arenas that he is predisposed to cheering for are ones that, you know, favor men. So again, I'm not saying he's not sexist. It's just a little bit more than that because he is far more inclined to root for like, uh, you know, an athletic woman that he would be, you know, a loser beta male, right? Sure. And then there's more than that. I think Probst is interested and most interested in the parts of Survivor that he is present for. Um, because, you know, he loves himself very much, but also, like, that's what he experiences, right? Sure. And that would be challenges in tribal council. So if people are always wondering, oh, he cares about big moves and challenges. Like, yeah, because the other stuff he's not there for, right. you know? He gets to watch that. Yeah, he gets to experience it when it happens, which is why, yeah. Of course he's excited by, you know, a huge underdog run by Mike. Because at the time, it felt pretty exciting to him, you know? It's like, this shouldn't be happening. Look, it's happening again. Uh, and yeah, to your point, I think he was, you know, more excited by M- Michaela, you know, killing it. And I gotta say, I-, I love just the little young man just bouncing off of Chris. It was fun. It was really good. Zeke was doing his best, man. Bravo, Zeke. You tried, but that just was never going to happen. Yeah, no, no, they absolutely tried. And it isn't just like, you know, uh, yeah, we, you know, we've got old man strength, which, yeah, I'll just pretend that to live vicariously. Like, he's just a big hulking yes. man. Like, you know, I, I liked how, you know, Jay even called it out for him, but recognizing that, yeah, it's not going to happen. Yep. But you know what? Buck up and have some ego. So yeah, absolutely. It was a good challenge. Um, the immunity challenge, uh, on the other hand, um, it was an impressive build, but, um, I don't know, man. Right. It was weird, and I tweeted this at the time. It was weird to me that you would be on the Gen X team pulling Chris up in that bench. He's by far your biggest person. He's the biggest person in the whole game. Why wouldn't he be one of the people pulling other people up? But then it was all for naught anyway because that puzzle took freaking forever, so it didn't matter who had the lead going into the puzzle. And, like, it actually worked, right? Like, they had a, you know, a, a decent lead. If it was a normal puzzle, that lead might have been the difference. Right. But, yeah, the whole time, too, I'm like, why, why is he? And, yeah, we're trying to figure out, it's like, does this, could he now pull? Or if he does this, is he the only one that can do that? Right. Uh, cause it's like, yeah, sure, he got over those obstacles, but that's not gonna matter within the time. You right. Know? Uh, but I guess it, ma- it helped. And I guess it's one of the things where you have a bit of redundancy with Brett. But yeah, the same way. I was like, but like he could pull these people himself. Yep. Um, but yeah, as you say, the, the word puzzle, like a word puzzle in general probably would have made it you know, meaningless, but this one in particular to the point where like, you know, taking less time or like, or sorry, taking more time in the first part might have helped. You could have like a bird's eye view of what the other team is doing <laughs> and not succeeding at. Um, uh, but like, 
that was just a, I, I don't know, like, just kind of a stupid word puzzle. Well, the word puzzle, I mean, this is one of those rare times where being a super fan would actually help you. Because you have to know that it's going to be something survivor related. If you're just assuming it's going to be any random words, your task is a lot harder. You have to know it's, it's something that Probst says or something along the lines of what Probst might say. Cause this one was a bit of a but stretch. But it wasn't something he said. No, it is a bit know? of a stretch, but you need to know that it's something about the game because that narrows down your possibilities. Um, even then it was still kind of tough. Yeah, it was grammatically incorrect. Yeah. And it also didn't have any of, like, those anchor letters, you know, like, uh, you know, the one in Worlds Apart had the X. Yeah. That, you know, could lead you to fixins or whatever. Like, the most exotic letter was, like, a Y, which, you know, could be in a lot of things, and it ended up being in, like, what, somebody? Like, that's, oh, okay. The, 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 the legendary survivor word of somebody, you yeah. know? Like, it was just, so, yeah, I mean, it took almost an hour for somebody to do it. It tells you that, like, all that, like, because it was a really impressive structure, and you're watching, it's like, hey, this is cool. Meaningless. Completely meaningless. If they just started up the puzzle, it still would have taken about as much time. Yep. Alright, so we want to move on to the mailbag now? Yeah, I think that's a good uh, good time. Alright, let, let's solve our own puzzles and answer these mailbag questions. Nice. Uh, first one, Assistant Dragon Slayer wants to know, as far as we know, Zeke and Adam are still the odd ones out among the millennials, ignoring the outcome of the episode which is Adam finding the idol. Was it the right move to go on the goat hunt or look for the idol? Yeah. And it should be said that like Zeke went on the goat hunt. He was with the people doing the bonding. I'll say, and this sounds like a wimpy answer, but it kind of just depends on who you are as a player. I don't think this is a one size fits all situation. If you are somebody like Zeke, who probably is a little more advanced socially, then yeah, it's probably a good idea to ingratiate yourself in the group. If you're somebody like Adam who might have screwed up the whole thing by trying to like, hey, oh, what do you guys think? We should target Hannah or something like maybe your best move is to take advantage of that time to, you know, look for an idol unmolested. <laughs> um, I'll also say that, um, it, I don't think either of them work that well if you both do the same one. If you're both looking for the idol, well, guess what? There's only one of them. Yep. If you're both there out there bonding, you don't get to throw the other one under the bus. You don't elevate, or, you know, even if it's not actively throwing them under the bus, you're not elevating yourself out of the bottom. So it's kind of like they, they needed to split up for it to be successful for either of them. Now, what do you think? Yeah. And I think, you know, we saw Hannah busting Adam later on looking for the idol and throwing him a, Oh, how's your idol search going, buddy? Then a little patronizing, like, yeah, are you finding anything? So I can only imagine that maybe while they were out on that little goat hunt, they might have said, hey, guys, Adam's not here. Do you think he's out hunting for an idol? So it was probably brought up, which would work against Adam. Yeah, it would. But, you know, obviously he was successful. But I kind of feel like he's probably already given the vibe that this is the kind of player he is. He's probably, you know, whenever he goes out somewhere, people are a little weary about him, like, you know, how it was with Fishback. So I don't know how much a guy like Adam would have benefited from. I mean, maybe if he can really get into that mood and like, you know, kid around with these guys, but he's, you know, the guy who didn't jump into the water with him, which yeah, at the time seemed like a good decision, but it's just like, maybe he wouldn't, I'll do himself any favors if he was out there socializing with those young idiots. Hey, at the at the time, the other one that didn't jump in, Mari, and look what happened to her. Yeah, no, exactly. So I think probably to uh, System Dragon Slayer's point, I think the way at least he's trying to direct us, it's better to be in the group than not. 
I'm just saying that, like, you know, if you don't have the social skills, then maybe it's just better to have an idol. Yeah, exactly. Um, as we kind of mentioned on the other tribe with David. All right, uh, let's go to the second question. Uh, this one was sent to us by... Uh, someone I lost the name. Yeah. Uh, do you think the structure of Survivor episodes have gotten stale and predictable? The edit has made the boot perfectly clear in the last couple episodes where it would have been surprising otherwise. Yes, uh, these should have been shocking things, but... Um, they were the things that we all predicted would happen. Yeah, and I mean, he's right. In a way, yes. <laughs> um, but to the show's credit, they also know that and occasionally use it for misdirection. You know, Survivor's editing and production, we've said this many times, like they don't get rewarded for it for some reason, but they're generally excellent episode to episode. The one time that they kind of stumble is that they build the winner's narrative a little too heavy-handed at times. Um, yes, they do kind of give you some clues if you're a longtime fan of the show of what to expect. But again, they can use that in different ways. I'll say some of this is unavoidable for a television show that goes on for 33 cycles. Um, and not many have that aren't like, you know, game shows or whatever. Uh, I mean, yeah, this is a pseudo game show, but yeah, you know, those are single episode type right. things. So, I mean, it, it's gonna get uh, a little uh, predictable because you know structure is a thing. And I'll say, um, sometimes that that yeah, you know, that's not what's important. You know, uh, if you are a big fan of like uh, detective novels, you kind of know what's gonna happen. You know, this person, yeah, you know, this is the red herring. Uh, this person is obviously a little more than they seem, that sort of thing. And especially like if you watch detective shows, it's like, okay, well, the, the, the most prominent guest star isn't just there to give a little thing about what he saw that day. He's the killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but there's, there's comfort in that structure. You know, you still snatch up every, uh, detective novel. If that's the sort of thing you're it's in. It's why people make procedurals such a popular genre on TV. Yeah. And I think it's because of what they do in between the numbers. So, you know, maybe it's, you know, it's not so much about, you know, the destination as much as the journey, which, you know, sounds like maybe something that, like, somebody's like, see, Edric is fine. It doesn't matter who wins. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Uh, but I will say that it's just like, cause I'm not arguing his point that it is a little predictable. Well, let's say that that also might be the danger of being, you know, somebody who, uh, watches intently and talks about it on the internet and all of that is that yeah it's going to be a little more predictable for us just like how you know big sci-fi fans are able to predict what's going to happen on their tv show before it's revealed it isn't necessarily that it's super obvious it's just that you're an advanced level audience so feel good about yourself yeah and the other thing Um, is if it's if it's completely unpredictable to the point that it seems random people get pissed at that too because then then it makes it feels like a cheat yeah, and so there needs to be a balance. And I think, as you say, survivors sometimes can find excitement and play with the form a bit. Just as a detective novel might, you know, take your expectations and turn it on there. But yeah, if they're just going to throw stuff at you, then they're cheating. Uh, and it's like a good mystery should feel obvious in retrospect. Uh, because you can't just, you know, just throw something at somebody who's like, oh, see, we didn't lay the tracks, but still keep people guessing. Uh, I would say, to his point, the past two episodes failed at that. Um, however, I'm also not going to necessarily ding them too much for not trying to build Lucy up so much. Like, the big reason why this one was predictable was because Lucy was, you know, invisible for three episodes, and then she was in the commercial. Like, we know from that, right? And, that, you know, to his point, that's the predictableness 
yeah, the kind of the structure that we've gotten to notice. But given what we saw of her, it's like, yeah, I'm glad they left her out for the other three episodes. <laughs> they gave us the bare minimum Lucy story we needed for this season, and yeah, let's move on. If every season episode is like this and the rest of the season, then maybe it is a problem. They need to shake it up a bit. But like a certain level of predictability is unavoidable for fans such as us. And frankly, yeah, I think it's it's. I mean, we like Survivor. We, we, we like the structure. Structure is what's allowed it to succeed. Exactly. It's it's like you would, you would watch NBA games with different teams playing every time. It's same game of basketball, different teams makes it interesting. And that's actually a good example because the NBA is the most predictable of all sports. Because, uh, yeah, having the best players tends to help you win. All right, uh, what's next? Question three. Miss Sweater Fan wants to know which types of strategic moves are your favorite from an entertainment perspective? Excellent moves, terrible moves, or controversial slash debatable moves? Uh, so I have two answers. Uh, you know, strictly from her uh, question, from an entertainment perspective, for me, it's excellent moves all the way. And this is very uh, defining of the kind of, uh, you know, viewer I am and the kind of observer I am. If you want to unlock the Rosetta Stone of my analysis and the opinions I have, it's that I like to see excellence on this show. I want to see good players do good things. And, yeah, preferably it's against other good players, but frankly, if it's against other bad players, I will still be impressed. I want to be impressed by people. And that extends to other things, you know. I I like to see the best players in sports do well. That's why I don't watch college sports. (laughs) Um... And yeah, I'm not like, you know, cheering for those pluggy Eckstein grit guys. It's like, no, I'll, I'll cheer for the guy with talent. So yeah, I would rather see an excellent move. That's what really gets me excited about Survivor. The other answer is for the show, for like us as, you know, podcasters, you know, controversial, debatable moves are better for us all the way. Yeah, that's our bread and butter because that's what makes the podcast fun to do is when we can actually discuss a move. When it's as simple as everybody's going to vote for person X and it was unanimous. Where's the fun in that? Yeah, we're so good that we can't really add anything other than, man, that was awesome. Yeah, Uh, yeah, it's not as much. So, you know, for us, for what we do here, uh, for conversation-based, so maybe even for extending the conversation, I think controversial, debatable has it. But for me personally, there's nothing I like more than seeing somebody do something like Really admirable and exciting. And I will. And admirable, well, I should say admirable in that, wow, I'm, I'm impressed they did that, not, you know, morality admirable. Right. Or Ethically admirable. Um, I'll fill up the board because I will say the terrible moves tend to be the most memorable for me. Like the Drew Christie talking himself into getting booted out is amazing. I like that it's an effing stick. Those things jump out in my mind. The only problem is when you have a season full of them, it's a terrible season. You know, when you have a season full of excellent moves, also a terrible season, because, you know, One World and Redemption Island were that. A season full of terrible moves, like Gabon, was a terrible season. So you'd need some kind of mixture, but I'll say that, for me personally, I find the terrible moves very entertaining. Yeah, and I'll agree about that mixture, but, like, you know, people sometimes wonder why I, you know, rate Redemption Island higher than most people. Uh, people are like, oh, he's just, you know, biased against boss problem. No, we'll say, like, it wasn't exactly ungratifying to see my favorite player, uh, win Survivor. Uh, but no, it's just cause I would rather see somebody throw a perfect game, even up against a subpar team, than, like, two crappy teams, you know, just throwing the ball around <laughs> everywhere. Bunch of errors, right? Ooh, it's close. It's challenging. I don't know what's gonna happen next, but I don't care. They suck at what they're attempting to do. And I will, yeah. Don't 
get confused. I'm not suggesting that makes it a good season. Redemption Island still isn't a good season. It's just if I'm going to watch a bad season, rather admire somebody in it. Uh, so, and I'm not saying necessarily that makes it a better season. It just makes it one that I prefer. All right. Fourth question from our mailbag. Saturday Night Palsy wants to know, last week on your podcast, and actually this would be two weeks ago on our podcast, we said that we were both not the types who would ever purchase buffs, and that's cool. But what if you were invited to the Survivor Reunion of the Year, and the only requirement is that you wear the buff of your favorite tribe? You both really want to go. The problem is, your sidekick, meaning you, Which is, you. <laughs> is busy, and you have to buy both buffs. What buff do you buy for yourself, and what buff do you buy for your co-host, knowing that they have no choice but to wear that buff? So when I was first reading this question, uh, I was just like, okay, if I have to. Actually, before, I should quickly state, uh, I, when we said that, I didn't necessarily mean it to be like the sneering, like, oh, people who buy buffs are losers. Yeah, I didn't either. Uh, like, like, this is a Survivor podcast, a Survivor website. If you can't let your fan freak fly, flag fly here, where else can you? Like, no judgment. Seriously, that's your thing? Cool. It's just not ours. Um, but when I first started reading, like, which one would you choose? I'm like, well, a purple one. Right, because you know we're very big on our brand. Tag brand. Uh, uh, so then I'm like, yeah, I guess the beauty tribe in Kagiyan was purple. Now, now their tribe didn't. They tri- said their stupid tribe name, not beauty, because that would make it more ideal. Right. But at least it say Kagiyan. I guess this season, you know, the Gen X tribe is purple. If it said Gen X, at least it'd be you know generation appropriate for me. But they suck. Yeah, kind of also on brand. <laughs> However, once it was, uh, you know. I pick one for me and I pick one for you. That changes things. <laughs> and it very quickly be, and I think the obvious answer would be I would be Karor and you would be Ulam. <laughs> yeah. I think the expectation that Saturday Night Palsy had was that I was going to troll you with my answer and you were going to troll me with yours. That's and... why I didn't answer this one last week with Emily, by the way. I had to hold it for you. Oh yeah, absolutely. I respect that. Um, so like the easy thing would be for me to just like give you a Nicaragua buff and be like, haha, or, you know, just troll you with some kind of season Boston Rob lost and give you one of his buffs. He did wear purple in Marquesa, I believe. And there you go. Um, but that's not cool though. Like it, it's, as much as we joke, we've been podcasting now for three years. There was a season that we call a replacement level season of Survivor is a mid-tier Panama, but that season happened to have one of the greatest tribes of all time in Kasaya, so that's why I'd give you the Lamina buff, and I'd take Kasaya. Or maybe it would be more appropriate that we would both be Kasaya, because it would kind of define our, our, our vibe here, that we are together, yet always <laughs> sniping at each other. Ah, uh, that is true. I was really going for you being the boring one, but it does make more sense if we're both Kasaya. I, I know that's where you were going, but it just clicked into place for me. Uh, so those are your answers. But no, I mean, come on. John is the oolong of this podcast. Well. <laughs> I do respect the choice. I actually considered making myself lose on just because it would have been funny, but nah. Um, all right. So final question. This is really just for me because I don't think this even applies to you. XL Pelican wants my take on the Great British Bake Off, um, including its recent self-destruction. And he wants to know my favorite week. For those of you that do not watch it, the Great British Bake Off is a surprise British reality show. Um, what? I know. Surprising. And here's another twist. They make people bake. Mm. Who would have seen that coming? But it's weird in that it's 
absurdly wholesome. Like the people, they're all super nice. Everyone they cast is nice. They all like work together. They help each other sometimes. Like the hosts are nice to the people. They're not harsh and judgmental and trying to burn them so hard or something like that. They are not Alex Trebek's. Exactly. They're not laying you out to dry like Alex Trebek. It's just a sweet, nice show. And it's like Super Bowl levels of popularity for their season finales. I can't believe when I saw their ratings. It was like 80% of TVs in Britain were watching the finale of this show. Anyway, getting back to this, the, the self-destruction he's talking about is now the show is going to a new channel starting next season. And basically all the cast is leaving. They're still going to cast new bakers or whatever. But the hosts of the show and the judges are all leaving. Um, it's a huge cluster F. Um, anyway, I encourage you to watch it. This season, I don't know if it's quite as good as last season, which was season six. I would probably be my favorite. But getting back to his final question, which is my favorite week? They do different themes every week. They do cakes and breads and pastries and whatever the theme might be for the week. Bread week is the obvious answer because it's generally super creative. And I freaking love bread. Like, it's entertaining to watch people break the bread and think, yeah, I would eat that. And I would say that to every single thing. Whereas someone like, oh, I don't know, Emma might watch this show every week and say, yeah, I'm not eating that. Right, because it's, it's food. Right, exactly. And therein lies the problem. So bread is your answer? Bread is my answer. Just like Oprah, I love bread. All right, uh... I'll believe you. Yeah, I haven't seen a minute of the show, but sure, sounds lovely. Uh, I don't even know if I could see it. I don't know. Where, where does one watch such a thing? I mean, I've heard one can find it on YouTube. Uh, okay. I've heard. If you're an American, one can find it on YouTube. Okay, so uh, let's wrap this one up with uh, predictions. Um, yeah, there's no mystery this time like there was a couple weeks ago. There is a swap next week. Uh, we get the preview of Jeff saying, you know, drop your buffs. So, um, because we now know the current construction of the tribes will not be, there's no point in picking one for each, especially since we're kind of flying blind, even what, yeah, who will be in danger or what. So let's just kind of pick one name. Who do you think is going on? Um, I will continue down the cynical path and say CC continuing a horrible trend. Yeah, maybe for the similar reasons why CC would always be in danger. Yep. A new tribe will come together and still see her as the weakest link. Yeah, I can see that. I'm going to continue voting Figgy. I think, <laughs> yeah, because uh, she's awful. Um, but also, it's just like, I, I, I envision a scenario where she's no longer protected by people. And I don't just necessarily mean uh, no longer with Taylor as, you know, the uh, ads are making us worry that these two star-crossed lovers will no longer be together. It's like, Taylor isn't the one keeping her in the game. It's, you know, it's Michelle, it's Jay, and I think a collection of them, and I don't know if they'll have the collective effort in order to save her from herself. And uh, I think she'll go as a result. All right. Well, we'll see. I would I would root for it to be Figgy over CC. I'm just taking the cynical path here. That is not necessarily go unwarned, un unrewarded on this show. Uh, all right. So um, if people have uh, questions for us in the future, where, where can they send those? You can always find us on Twitter. The show is at Purple Rock Pod. I am at Purple Rock John. I am at Purple Rock Andy. And if you wanted to email us for some reason, as people have done lately, it's Purple Rock Podcast at gmail.com. So if you want to send us in questions either about Survivor or about whatever other random stuff that you're thinking about that week, feel free to do so. Yeah, no, actually, if people want to 
just a little drop a, a comment on our website, purplerockpodcast.com. Let us know how you think this uh, kind of mailbag segment is going. We actually kind of like it because it, uh, for one, it involves the community a bit more and the content that they'll be consuming. But also, I, I feel like it's led to some fun conversations, not just the same. Because, well, generally when the podcast posts, a lot of the thinking about the episode has already kind of gone through with our live blogs. Uh, I, I like to think that you and I feed a little bit more thought because I think we hold out on the live blog comments. Mm-hmm. Um, we so do. I, there's definitely some conversation there, but I do think these, these questions have driven more fun conversations amongst there. So let us know how you think that's going along with, you know, you can throw us uh, more questions. Yeah. And it's nice to give a shout out to some of our, you know, commenting community like Saturday Night Palsy and Miss Sweater Fan and Assistant Dragon Slayer and the rest. Yeah, that other guy. Um, another shout out. Uh, I'd like to wish a happy birthday to Gouis. Oh, happy birthday, Gouis. You're becoming an old man now. Yeah, you can join us in our crotchety oldness. Although, frankly, he is one of the crotchetiest uh, amongst us, and I love it. <laughs> Welcome to Gen X. Uh, he, yeah, although I, I guess, uh, you know, getting older doesn't make you switch generations. No, it, it just does. Makes, it just makes you uh, say everything that the other generation said. Um yeah, you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. And if you'd like to help the podcast out while we uh, potentially buy new things for our website, you can do that. Um, How? PurpleRockPodcast.com slash Amazon. Or you can just look for the Amazon link on our page. doesn't cost you anything. They just give us a pittance thrown our way that uh, we can use to support the site. All right. I think that's it. So maybe we should play some music. Let's do that. <laughs> 